Last week, what we decided to do is try to, to gain an understanding of what gratitude is, to understand, understand what it is and how it applies to our lives. We learned that, yes, it is a noun, okay? Gratitude is this thing. This thing that sometimes we can't even just put words to. You know what I'm talking about? Some things off. Something's good. Man, that thing is awesome. Or that thing is crazy. You know what I'm saying? Thing. And sometimes with gratitude, we can't pinpoint this thing. It's like this elusive cause and effect of life and all this stuff that we can't articulate and understand. It's just this thing that we can't grab at times. Gratitude. And it's difficult. As we try to be grateful, you know, as we try to be appreciative, as we try to take in the benefits of of someone giving us something and we giving nothing in return. And again, we were reminded, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, to give thanks in all circumstances. And this, this is the anchor verse for our conversation for the next few weeks. That we give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Because I can tell you what, this morning it was very hard to have an attitude of gratitude, right? Yesterday, it was easy. Today, not so much. Of course, because we are, we're working through a conversation on how to say two simple things. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, so-and-so. Thank you, because you gave me something that I did absolutely nothing for. Thank you. And that is the the sign of someone who can or cannot say thank you determines the level of the gratitude they have in their hearts. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen someone that thank you easily rolls off their lips versus someone be like, oh, that's cool. Um, Mom's calling, got to go, kind of thing. They'll do anything to avoid thank you, right? You know those kinds of folks. I know them very well. They're called family. I'm just kidding. Okay. (laughs) Remember, we understood that Robert Emmons, uh, a forerunner on positive psychology, uh, uh, with his research in the last 20-some years, has, has gained an understanding that, that gratitude, literally an attitude of gratitude, will make you a healthier person. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, all the way around. And what it looks like in the midst of his, uh, someone saying, hey, you go do this kind of thing, research this, and tell us everything you know about gratitude. He came to God in the process himself because we grow to understand that the base of gratitude is our love and gratefulness for God and what he did. Gratitude. How many of you guys this past week uh, begin to write down things that you're thankful for? Good, the words are working. Oh, one, two, I see those hands. (laughs) Three, four, get your woman on five. I can't sing the rest of the song. Okay. But has your week been better if you've been deliberately writing something down to be thankful for? It's true. Someone that is thankful, someone that says thank you to God is more of a grateful person and they're more fun to be around. Right? You probably like being around yourself more than you did before. Gratitude changes everything. We heard from a few stones of gratitude. We talked about joy and understanding of that. We talked about grace, and then we also talked about love. And these stones in our lives are the foundation and the building blocks of a life that is filled with a sense of gratitude. Gratitude. We understood Psalm 136. Over 26 times it was said, His love endures forever. That's why we have a spirit of gratitude, because God's love endures forever forever. It's that type of love. So here we find ourselves today at our second installment of gratitude. And I want to start off with, I think, what's a a realistic observation um, that you guys will probably most likely agree with uh, in your lives as well, that life is hard. 
that life is difficult, that life throws you curveballs. And again, it's funny and ironic, I think, that this week, what has happened in our world, but even in our own lives, that we see that life is hard and things happen that we don't quite understand, things that we can't put our finger on. You think about what's happening and what has happened in Paris. That breaks your heart. You can't even wrap your mind around That is so difficult to understand. Of course, we ended last week talking about love, and the exact opposite of that is hatred. And that's what we see in life. And out of hatred and what people carry and harbor in their lives, it creates difficulty, hurt, and pain for others. Life is difficult. Life is hard. Would you agree? If it's easy for you, tell me your secrets. Let's open a dojo, and we're going to train everybody on how to have a sweet life. Life can be difficult and throw many things our way. Remember those things that we can't quite articulate and understand. But again, we come back to the hallmark verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So one of the folks that I think of um, when I think of someone who maintained an attitude of gratitude, someone that weathered storms, weathered difficulties, weathered hurt, weathered pain, weathered betrayal, everything else you could add to the list. When I think about this person in the Bible, I think about all that he went through. I think about how he came out on the other side of it. Uh, I wouldn't say unscathed, but changed by the circumstance and situation. And I think about this person and uh, how he came through all the unforgiveness and all of this stuff. And I'm encouraged by him. I'm encouraged by what he went through, but also how he came out of it. And how he maintained an attitude of gratitude. How he was able to give thanks in all circumstances. His story, this man, his name is Joseph. Joseph. Now, some of you might be thinking, oh, that's the guy with the technicolor coat, right? Right? Oh, no, that's the Disney guy. That's the, the, yeah. It actually came from the Bible first, okay? Joseph goes way back, way back in time, okay? This guy has been around for a long time in our minds and our hearts and in Scripture as we read. And we see his life chronicle between Genesis 37 and chapter 50. So what we're going to do is read straight through all of it. We'll be serving lunch here soon. I'm kidding. But if, if you really, and I, I would encourage you to read through his life, you know, when, this week. Really do. Read through his life and, and just see how the, the greater scope of what he went through. Because I can't but just summarize and condense that to make sense for us this morning and so that I can help you eat this afternoon, okay? But what's unique about Joseph is uh, what we find true of him. How he handles those facts of life, those things that seem to, to come at and to, to just obliterate everything that is known and normal. And how he comes out on the other side, still a believer. Still a believer that God is good, right? Still a believer and still able to say, thank you. Do you understand where I'm coming from? This is big. So a quick background on Joseph's family history. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, okay? Quick download. He was born to his father, Jacob, and mother, Rachel. How did this relationship come about? A lot of stuff. A lot of cray, cray, cray. You think your family life is crazy? Try having to work for 14 years for two wives. I'd be like, I'm done. 
He had this father-in-law after he left his family and all kinds of struggle that he went through. He had this father-in-law that had a great idea that what I'm going to do is pawn off uh, not just one but two daughters. I'll get this guy to work for me for 14 years, and then I'll be good to go. They'll be taken care of. I can keep moving on with life. His name was Laban. This guy was pretty crafty. He was very deceitful, and he was, he was not the father-in-law you wanted, okay? Any of you guys have father-in-laws? You've got to make sure you have a good one because when you deal with something like this, it goes from cray to crazy, okay? This was the situation for him. So we see this, this life develop. We see this story begin to evolve, and we see out of all of this crazy dysfunctional family stuff, a family happened and a guy named Joseph as a result. So we see chapter 37. I want to read this to you. Start here. The beginning of someone that starts as a dreamer and it turns into a nightmare. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah. Those are fun names. His father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. The first thing that, that he does, the first thing that Joseph does is he starts tattletaling. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about here, all right? He was, the, he was like really young on the pecking order kind of thing. So he had many big brothers, all right? Many big brothers. And the first thing he does when his dad says, hey, go check on your brothers, he comes back tattletaling kind of thing, okay? This is the first account that you see of this guy. So you can see that there's some lessons to be learned here, right? 17 years old. Now Israel loved Joseph more, this is Jacob, interchangeable Israel, Jacob, okay? Uh, more than any of his other sons because he had born to him in his old age and he made a richly ornamented robe for him. That's where you get that technicolor coat in your mind, Okay? Because he had been born to him in his old age, he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Listen to this, all right? This dream, I'm going to set you up for this. Imagine again, you're the older brother's sister, and your little brother comes up to you and says, Hey, guess what's going to happen? Down the road, you guys are going to be less than me. Actually, you're going to bow down to me. It's going to be awesome. Let me tell you about it. It's going to be great. Um, you know how there's like this pecking order in our house where you guys should get like greater blessing kind of thing, and you're like firstborn kind of stuff? Well, guess what? You're going to bow down to me. I'm so excited, guys. How do you think that fell on the brother's ears? Do you think they were just excited for him? That's great. How can we make this happen? You know, how can you be the greatest in the house and we be the least? How can we help you discover your dreams, dear Joseph? No, not at all. He did have that dream where they were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, he says, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down. His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then, this is great, he had yet another dream. And he told it to his brothers as if he didn't get a great response the first time. He said, let's run this back. Let's try this again. All right. He told his brothers, listen, with excitement and enthusiasm. I had another dream. And this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, this upset his father a little bit, too. When he had told his dad 
um, as well as his brothers. The father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I, your brothers, actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind, and that'll be for a reason later. His brothers were jealous of him. Not only did he have a dream that all of his brothers were going to bow down, he was like, hey, dad, guess what? You're the one that's supposed to give like inheritance and stuff like that. You're supposed to be top dog in the family, right? Until you pass out and pass on kind of thing. You're going to bow down too. Man, it's going to be great. Can't wait. They're like, are you crazy? I rebuke you in the name of God then. I rebuke you in the name of God kind of thing. You are nuts. You done fell off your little sheath rocker kind of thing. (laughs) What is wrong with you, boy, kind of thing. So the brothers are looking. Dad's number one favorite. You see the robe he wears. Look at all those amazing colors. Imagine what it took to make that. And then you see the dad. This boy is off the chain crazy right now. You can tell that there there began to be a stirring of emotion. Do you think there was a lot of gratitude in the house that day? Not everybody's like, thank you, Joseph. Great dream. Come again. No, this wasn't. But this marks um, what we would see to be the beginning of the end for Joseph the dreamer. He started out with the dream that God had given to him, but things quickly began to sour and go south. Actually, as Joseph was set out again to check on his brothers, he went up north to Dothan. He figured out some other things along the way. He was again going to check on his brothers, which probably wasn't a good idea because he wasn't really a crowd favorite, and, um, and bring back word to dad. Genesis 37, 17b, which is the second part of that. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. They were extremely happy. Here comes the dreamer kind of thing. They said to each other, they said those exact words, Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and, they say, and then say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him in this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, and the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now, the cistern was empty. Remember, it would catch water kind of thing and and hold water. There was no water in it. That day, the dreamer, Joseph, found himself in a pit. Does that not set right with you at all? Where you got God speaking to you saying, hey, you're going to have this, you're going to have that, this is going to be great, this is going to happen And then all of a sudden, right after that, you find yourself in a place that you will die if you're left there, in a pit. Imagine what Joseph was feeling. He was probably like, oh, this is funny. They took my jacket. (laughs) They've done this before. They're always messing with my robe. They're like, look at the colors, look at, you know, kind of thing. And then it begins to set in. I I don't know if I'm going to, guys, hey. Hey, give me a jacket kind of thing. You know, can you imagine what's happening? All right, stop, stop. Don't be silly. Come on. 
it's cold in here, you know, kind of thing. You start singing whatever. I, there's no water, you know, I can't swim for fun while I'm waiting, you know, kind of thing. He's in this pit, stripped of his identity, stripped of who he was, what he could be. He finds himself in this place all by himself. I'm sure in that moment he questions God. And don't we do that too? If you don't, there's something wrong with you. If you do, you're on track to being normal. We question God. We really do. God, why in the world am I in a pit? You told me that all my brothers were going to bow down to me. Why am I, you know, I'm trying to teach you something here, Joseph, kind of thing. Why am I in this place? You know, God, you know full well that if I stay here longer than just a few days, I'm dead. What is up with this? The pit will teach us things in life. The pit teaches us this. God is building something that no man can tear down and take away. The pit. God is building something. What do you mean? Down in a hole. God is building something that no man can tear down or take away. Again, this robe represented who he was and all he had been known to be. He was Jacob's son. He was identified as this this child that was loved and cared for, and then he's in a pit, stripped of his identity. Just him and God kind of thing. I would not be grateful at that moment. Honestly, I'd probably be freaking out. I'd be clawing the wall or something. I don't know what I'd be doing trying to get up out of that pit. But I'd be free. I wouldn't be like, it is well. Come on, God, sing it with me. With my, give me my robe, guys. I can't sing without it. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I would not be a happy camper in a pit. But sometimes God allows things to happen because he's a good, good father so that we can learn the lesson that we're supposed to learn. I'd rather just be at the pit. See, a lot of times we think about Joseph as the guy that's, you know, the one who's being taken advantage of and and being hurt and being beat down and that he's the victim. No. He's the guy that God's trying to teach for something down the road. Have you ever thought of it that way? It's not just Joseph with his big, mean brothers and taking his jacket and dip it in goat's blood, which is normal, to make it look like he's dead. Can you imagine what he was thinking in that moment? The pit. God is building our reliance on him versus dependence on ourselves. Something that man can't take away, but also building a reliance on him versus dependence on ourselves. This is not comfortable. I love to be self-reliant. I love to be able to do things on my own. I love to be able to do everything all the time. That is not reality. Proverbs 3, 4 through 8, you've heard this all the time probably growing up. Then you will win favor and the good name in the sight of God and man. Trust, this is where we normally pick up, but we're talking about favor and a good name in the sight of God and man too. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your paths straight. Normally we stop there, but listen, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. 
fear of the one who holds everything in his hands is very healthy. And shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. He's trying to teach us to trust him. I don't like that lesson. Nobody like, but he's trying to give us an attitude of gratitude while we're in the pit. While we're in the pit. I think about this and um, what he may have felt the next stop along the journey. As his brothers come up with an idea, and again, I'm paraphrasing to save time. They come up with this idea that, you know what, we won't kill him. Let's pull him out of the cistern. Let's pull him out of the pit. And what we'll do is we'll sell him. That's a great idea. Let's just sell him. Let's make some money in the process. Who doesn't like money? Need it. It works. Let's just get rid of him. We'll just sell him. So there's some uh, Ishmaelites, and uh, the, these folks are coming along, and, and they're part. The, the track where, where he was at is really the trade track for, for, for selling goods and selling people even at that point and sending them down to Egypt. So they're like, this is great. This is perfect. We'll just get rid of the problem. We'll sell them away. So we find out that Joseph was sold for 20 shekels of silver which today will be the equivalent of $114.72. I never knew blood was that cheap. This is big. $114.72, that's how much I mean to you. Hurt, difficulty, pain, gratitude? The average slave at that time went for 30 shekels, which would have been $164.72. You're going to sell me less for less than what a slave will be bought for. Okay? You're going to take my jacket. You're going to throw me in a pit. And now you're going to sell me into slavery. The next stop was Potiphar's house, who was the man who bought him from the pit to Potiphar's house. Genesis 37, 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites then sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, which means this guy was the head executioner. He was big wig. He was the real deal. He was not afraid to take you out if you didn't comply kind of thing. Big deal, Potiphar's house. And he finds him at a place, he finds himself at a place he never thought he would be. Think about it. I was in a pit. Now I'm sold to slavery. Does my dad even miss me? Do they even know I'm gone? Imagine what he went through, though, at the same time. God's trying to teach him a lesson on one hand, but he's also trying to, to love him on the other because he's a good father. That's what he does. And you think about, I went from that pit, and now I'm a slave in this house. Slavery then was basically a dead man walking. It was death. You were forever. You died there, and that's it. You're there forever. They own you. Done. And he's thinking to himself, so this is how it's going to end out. From Pitt to Potiphar's house. And what's cool, again, I'm going to paraphrase. But you see Joseph rise up within Potiphar's house. We see that in Genesis 38, 1 through 6. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, again, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord, here, listen to me, was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in, the eyes, in his eyes and became his attendant 
Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was upon everything Potiphar had, both in the house and on the field. So he left Joseph's, in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. What happened? How does it go from pit to slavery at Potiphar's house to being in charge of everything? There had to be an attitude of gratitude in there. There was a lesson that he learned in the pit to trust God. So he knew that, hey, if I'm going to be here, if I'm going to be a slave, I'm going to be the best slave ever. I'm going to be the best attendant now ever. I'm going to do anything and everything I, do, I can do to help Potiphar. Now, if I don't, he does have my head on the platter. But if I do, it's a great life. I'm going to do exactly what I can to serve God and to honor him. And because of that, out of that, Potiphar was blessed too. I'd love to say that that was just the beautiful end of that story that things worked out well, and, and Joseph just walked out of Potiphar's house one day, and he's like, you've been so great, Joseph. Go, live, be happy, frolic. No. Potiphar had a wife. Mm-hmm. And this is where things got a little crazy. See, Potiphar's wife, um, she noticed something about Joseph because he was just a teenager when he came. And how many of you guys remember when you were teenagers, like in your late teens, you didn't have this stuff called fat around your waist necessarily? You were just like kind of thing, okay? You had like six-pack, 12-pack, whatever on there. I never did, so I don't know what this means or feels like, but <laughs> she began to take notice of old boy. She began to look and be like, well, how are you? kind of thing. And it was customary that, you know, this type of stuff happened in households, and you just kind of didn't talk about it. It was kind of permitted, but you didn't really talk about it in these types of situations. But we see something in Joseph that's unique, we see that as he had the, the advancement of Potiphar's wife, and she's asking him, hey, um, let's do the tango kind of thing. Let's hang out for a while. Let's, let's, yeah, okay, you get the idea. And there's this sense of resolve that comes up within Joseph's life. He, this understanding that I am going to what? Honor God. I'm going to, to honor God with everything that's in me. I'm not going to succumb to this temptation And what does he do? He runs. He runs like a crazy man. But something happens. There's an article of clothing that's left behind. His cloak, his his, his outer garment, like his shirt. He's got a problem with clothes, doesn't he? (laughs) This dude, we need to just sew him up, you know, just make sure, just wash him all together with the clothing and everything. Things got much, much worse for him. Genesis 39, 19 through 20, in the first half of 20. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. Oh, well, this just gets better and better. Do you ever watch um, like things on television, like a movie or maybe a show? Um, and uh, what is it? Alexander's Very Bad Whatever Day kind of thing. Has anybody ever seen that, the Alexander's movie? Um, literally anything and everything that can go wrong will go wrong in sequence. Everything's a wash. This is like watching Joseph's life, isn't it? Isn't it? You just want to like shut the Bible and be like, God, this is not fair. I hate this story. <laughs> this guy, what did he do to deserve all this? Now, seriously, he's running from a lady who's trying to, you know, hello, and you, 
You're going to throw him, you're going to make it so that he's in prison? You're a good, good father. <laughs> Imagine what Joseph was feeling. He probably was feeling an array of emotion, like, man, I'm hurt. I'm in pain. This is difficult. I'm frustrated. God, what are you doing? But still, Psalm 118, 1 through 9, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. You can read the context of that. But still in this moment, we see a heart and an attitude of gratitude in his life. Thank you. Can you imagine being thrown in the deepest, darkest place? You thought the pit was bad. Shackled. This one wasn't dry, I'm sure. Because, you know, jail situations back then weren't pleasant whatsoever. Because where he was thrown was not a great place. This was for the worst of worst kind of thing. Can you imagine what he's feeling then? Chained, bound, in prison with the thought of no escape. He still found it within his life, and I don't know how, to extol the Lord at all times. And again, his praise will be on my lips like we talked about earlier. Prison. What happens in these situations? God is building character in your life. See, here's the thing. If you read the whole story of Joseph already, you know um, that... uh, he will become someone special, and I don't want to give it all away. But if, if he does not have the character in place to sustain who he will become, he'll never become that person. You know what I'm saying? So like God gives you a dream, but you got to go to the pit. But then you got to go to Potiphar's house to learn to trust him, right? Then you got to go now to prison where it seems like I'm going to die in this mess for sure. He's teaching us character. Character. Takes a lifetime to build it, but a moment to lose it. I think of character, and I think about like a picture that's developed in a dark room. You don't see the beauty of that picture until it's out of that dark room, but it takes a dark, dark place to bring that beauty to life. Right? Character. And character is the only thing that our lives can be sustained upon. Because that's what people check. Again, it takes a lifetime to build it, but a moment to lose it. He's building character in these moments. Genesis 41 through 8. Sometime later, the cupbearer, these are some of his friends he got to hang out with while he was there. And the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. This kind of gives more light to this this place. It wasn't this little happy-go-lucky place. If Pharaoh's mad and he sends you somewhere, you know you're in the wrong spot kind of thing. After he had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream. This at the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. And this is in just a moment you'll hear where the character comes out. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw what that they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were um, excuse me, who were in custody with him in the master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered. But there is no one to interpret them. 
Then Joseph said to them, and this is where the character rolls out, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. He had a choice at that moment, right? To be all upset with him. I had a dream once too, man. Let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about my dream. Let me tell you about my brothers. Let me tell you about my dad. Let me tell you about my mom. You know, and it's like, I'm here ever. You know, kind of thing. <clears throat> I had a dream too. No. See, God was developing character in his life at that moment so that he would realize that God was the giver of the dream and that someday that dream still will come true because God gave it to him and God can tell you what it means. So their dreams weren't positive completely, at least for one. He didn't make the cut. Um, and the other did. And, you know, Joseph's hope, again, paraphrasing, was that in this moment he would be remembered. A couple years later, forgotten, sitting in jail, sitting in prison kind of thing. Still, look, excelling in the moment. You know, he was, he was again, took over all the operations, kind of, but he was still in prison. You know what I'm saying? He was favored of the Lord. God had blessed him. God had created more character. He had he helped him to, to help others realize their dreams, but he was still not living in his dream completely, right? That's a tough spot. That's where he found himself, dejected even his own. And we see a, a dream come to Pharaoh, right? We see a dream come to Pharaoh, and all of a sudden, you know, the cupbearer, he'd been enjoying, you know, making sure, everything, you know, Pharaoh wouldn't die, he drinks a little bit, and then here you go, Pharaoh, enjoy, kind of thing, because they liked to poison people back then. It was fun. It was kicks and giggles. But you see this cupbearer all of a sudden, Pharaoh's like, I have a dream. I have a dream that something, you know, Cupbearer's like, bing, the light goes off. I had a friend, hopefully he still will be. Um, I had a friend that I did some time with because of you, Pharaoh. No, we're good now, okay? Uh, that we did some time together. And I had a dream once, and he told me that, you know, I would be back here with you. He can help you through this. He can help interpret this dream so that you can gain understanding here. Come to find out this dream is a big deal. Because it talks about what's ahead for Egypt. Years of prosperity, years of famine. And, and Joseph interprets this through God and gives this to Pharaoh. And all of a sudden, because of his character, because of his integrity, Pharaoh's like, you're my guy. Pulls him out of prison, places him in the palace. You got the pit, right? We're not talking about Brad here, all right? You got the pit, Right? You got Pharaoh's place, right? Pharaoh's house, the prison, now the palace. And this is kind of crazy, isn't it, when you think about it? So I've gone all this way for what reason? Can you imagine what's going through Joseph's mind at this point? I've come all this way for what reason? What, what is the meaning behind this kind of thing? So Pharaoh notices his wisdom, notices all this that he has, and that he has favor with God and with man. He puts him in charge of everything, everything. He's Pharaoh's right-hand man and walks them through this years of famine and this years of growth and all that so that they can be sustained after the fact so that a nation and surrounding nations can find life once again. So we see that he goes from all of these hard, difficult situations now to a place in service and the right-hand man to Pharaoh. In the process of all of these nations, 
coming around. This famine reached to far lands, even to the land where Joseph's family's from. We see in this situation, in this circumstance, that his brothers come, and it's a lot. It's, you can read it this week. They come a couple different times and trying to get grain and trying to get provisions for their family. And in the process, realize, right? Joseph realizes, they realize that that's their brother. And in the process, what do all these brothers do? Bow down to their brother. See, we don't realize that God is developing the dream, that God is making the dream happen, that with an attitude of, with thanksgiving in our hearts, he will prosper us every single step of the way, but we have to commit every single step of the way to him. And I think the greatest lesson of the palace is this. We see it at the very end, chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So Pop has died, the one that was the anchor for the family kind of thing. Now Joseph's heart has been changed in the process, but you'll see it even greater in just a couple moments. They begin to wonder, if dad's out of the equation, what's that mean for us? If Joseph is the number two guy, you know, he's got a wife, he's got kids now, he's in this kind of thing. He's a part of this culture. What does that mean for us? You know, they had provision, they had land, they had all of that that the Pharaoh afforded to them, that they could all come and they live there right near. But what happens, though, after dad dies kind of thing? Is this still going to be good? Still going to be a good relationship? So they went to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of God, of your father. Servants, those that bowed down. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, do not, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? And I love this, the Hallmark verse here. You intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he assured them and spoke kindly to them. Do you think when Joseph was a young teenager and God had given him these dreams, that he realized the magnitude of these dreams? That he would literally save nations? That he would literally save lives. He thought it was just a dream about maybe at my house later on down the road, somehow the brothers are going to be like, oh, Joseph, you're amazing, you know, kind of thing. He never realized, I don't think, the magnitude of what God was doing with his life. He didn't realize that if I remain faithful, thankful, and grateful through this process, no telling what could happen kind of thing. He said, what you meant for harm, God intended for good. The biggest lesson here minds all around that we need to learn today. And we see it in this situation and we see it in our lives all around. Forgiveness. That's hard. Forgiveness. 
why do I have to forgive? Why do I have to let go? Why is it up to me to do this? You think Joseph didn't have time to think about that? Sitting in the pit, sitting in prison, serving Potiphar, even making decisions in the palace. He had the moment of truth in his life when he could have responded positively or negatively. He could have lived up to his dreams or lived below them. But he chose forgiveness. There was a, um, this past week, again, there's so much hatred in this world. There was a break-in in in a uh, pastor's home, and you may have read about this. Um, And his wife was fatally shot. And um, his response to this floors me because a sense of uh, almost forgiveness was in his heart from the beginning. You know, and I think of a pastor friend, not close to me, but more close to like Rob and Christy because they're from a different uh, geographical area that we're affiliated with. Losing his wife as well in a car accident, they were riding a motorcycle and a car hit them and she died instantly and he lost one of his legs and a lot of damage. And I read the article this, this past week where he had forgiveness for this person. How do you forgive someone that murders your wife, basically, with a vehicle? How do you forgive someone that murders your wife by way of a break-in? And uh, how, how do you... Co- Only God. And I'm, I'm challenged. I'm challenged, and I'm, I want to challenge you this morning. Do you want to be more thankful? Do you want to have a better attitude of gratitude? I can almost guarantee you. Some way, shape, or form, there's something in you, some point at which there's forgiveness that's lacking. And the thing about forgiveness, Matt, if you want, bud, you can, there you are. Couldn't find him. We're going to close our time together just um, reflecting and thinking. Again, this is a broad, broad story that I want you to read this week. But I think through all of this and the lesson that God was teaching Joseph and us thousands of years later is how to forgive. And I think probably the most difficult uh, lesson within ourselves is how to receive forgiveness from him, meaning God. I was speaking with a friend this week and um, things got deep quick, right? And she was uh, talking about how uh, her dad had passed at nine and um, how that was very hard for her kind of thing. And, um, talked about the issues that have ensued in life because of that. And um, she goes, you know, I never really was into drugs, alcohol, any of that kind of stuff. I said, it was relationships, wasn't it? She said, yeah, relationships. With, but I said, kind of thing. And I don't know what the relationships look like, all that kind of stuff. But I said, so you, you grew up in church kind of thing. She said, yeah. And I said, um, makes it hard to come back, doesn't it? She's like, yeah. I'm like, because you think you got to be all clean before you come. You got to get everything in order before you say yes to God. You got to get everything fixed in and of yourself. Just accept forgiveness. But we always want to pay, don't we? We always want to have collateral. You know what I'm saying by that? We always feel like we got to give something. Like, I need to write the check. I need to. People do that at church. They give alms, like, if I write a $50,000 check, then I am right into heaven. God speaks, Benjamin, you know? You ain't got to do nothing. 
nothing. Just receive. As you receive, you'll be able to then distribute forgiveness in your life. But you don't understand. Nope, I don't. I'm not going to act like I do because everything's different. Just like when I was in youth ministry and I was talking to a 13-year-old and they're like, I'm in love. I'm like, all right, you know what? God gave you that capacity. I'll walk with you through this kind of thing. I, I don't, I'm not there, but I'm with you. And I don't know what you've been through, where you're going, all of that, but I know God has given you a dream. And on the way to that, he's going to teach you things. There's going to be pits, right? You know this. There's going to be palaces. There's going to be Potiphar's house kind of stuff. You're wrongly accused. You're all kinds. Of, I mean, there's everything in between. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I think um, what always grounds me back is when I really think about what Jesus did for me, right? When I really think that Jesus died for me, he's proven. He's he's a real person. And scripture, the Bible is the most proven text known to man. Why does everybody buy it? The most purchased text too. Somebody believes something about it. When I, when I really need to find gratitude, I just, thank you, Lord. And you guys know in my life that Kara, in a lot of ways, has been the greatest expression of grace that I've ever received. So therefore, I'm able to give. When you receive forgiveness, you're able to, for, to, to extend it and, and to dispense it in your life. This is big. Some of you harbor unforgiveness and you're waiting for the other person to come to you. You know what I'm saying by that? You're like, well, they need to come to me and say they're sorry first. They may never do that. Ever. Ever. So you will take that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because it will take you out. It'll take you out. You'll die. That'll be your pit. That'll be your prison. It might be crazy. And you may have to go to somebody and say, I forgive you. And they're like, for what? You're like, get thee behind me, Satan. And rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Bam! You smack him in the head. <laughs> or throat punch. Whatever it takes for him to get the lesson. But you know what I'm saying? Third punch is fun. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. You're like, ha, 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 who's forgiven who now? I mean, Lord, please forgive me. <laughs> right? Forgiveness. You waiting for them to die in that thing. You're the one dying all the way. You could be 22 years old or 82 years old. If you still struggle with it, you're always going to struggle with it. He kept his heart kept his heart and that's key Joseph kept his heart nobody took it from him regardless of what they did to him they couldn't take it from him because God put it in him Whew. think about it he put that dream in your heart for a reason so that you could see it become reality not just you be saved in the process but nations but if you can't forgive, you can't get through. Gratitude.
forgiveness. Close your eyes with me. We're going to respond and worship in a moment because that's saying thank you. That's how we're going to exit this morning. And but, but if you find that there is a forgiveness struggle in your life, you find that, you know, it, you, you're hurting. You know, you, you've been through a lot and it's seated in unforgiveness. Don't run another day. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of running with it? You know it's too heavy to carry. Why are you doing it? not made to carry only he is number one forgive yourself excuse me number one receive forgiveness from him number two forgive yourself number three forgive someone else receiving forgiveness is the step in the relationship where you take on faith and what I want to do is this I want to challenge you if you need to take on faith this morning If you need a relational basis with God through Jesus, just simply look at me. That means I want a relationship. Just look at me in my eyes. That means you're there. Okay? All right? I see you. All right? Okay? All right? Okay? This is cool. Number one, you want a relationship with Him. Number two, forgive yourself anybody if you want to forgive just look at me real quick okay all right okay all right the third part is your action step when you leave forgiving others but I I just want to pray in this moment uh, believing again maybe I'm crazy because I know I fought to get here Everything fought against me to get to this moment of, of, of you receiving the forgiveness, healing in your life. But I'm crazy enough to believe that God will intervene, that God will redeem you, okay? Because remember, he doesn't clean fish before he catches them. <laughs> He's pretty good, but not that good kind of thing because he wants you to walk with him, and that's when that happens. But I'm just going to pray collectively that your, your faith in this moment will be solidified and that your belief in him will be solidified and that you have a relationship with Christ. Relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his death, resurrection, all of that. And that you will receive the forgiveness and give the forgiveness to yourself and to others that you need to give. And when, when I say amen, I want you to stand and we're going to worship together. That's, that's the directive. But then I also want to make sure that you tell someone about this. Because there's nothing better than, and we all know this, right, that the enemy would want to do than to isolate even this moment of growth in your life. I remember when I was a kid in youth ministry, I'd try to run as quickly as I could out of the building because I wouldn't have to feel what God was putting on my heart. I'm tired of doing that. I was tired then, I'm tired now, and you are too. So just rest in his arms. So God, this morning, we finally find rest in you. 
God, the dreams, the passions, the desires, all the things that you have planned for us, God, we, we grab a hold of that this morning. Number one, salvation, rededication, a walk with you. An understanding that we have experienced your forgiveness. That you as that good, good father looks down at your kids and you're just like, I love you so much. I never meant for you to feel that much pain, but there was a lesson in the pain. Let's learn it. Let's move on. Let's go together. And God, in this moment, we accept it. The fullness of this moment, we accept it. We receive your forgiveness. And God, we set our hearts to be intentional to forgive others. We're tired of running. We're tired of dodging. We're tired of doing all that it takes to maintain this unforgiveness in our hearts. And we accept it. We give it. And we move on being grateful because we know on the other side of that is the fullness of your plan, of your dream. Lord, we say it this morning, what the enemy means for harm, you are turning for good. see that thing in your mind he's turning it for good he's turning it for good Lord right now we allow you to turn it for good taking a test and turning it into a testimony taking a failure and turn it to a success taking unforgiveness and turning it to forgiveness so that we can sleep at night we find your rest we love you